Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's mayor unveiling a checklist of priorities. The Ticats offseason is officially over. An interesting story about an educator and her OnlyFans page. Bad news for fire-ravaged Alberta. The best and worst of government waste and roller derby rolling again in the hammer. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath addressed local business leaders at yesterday morning's Mayor's Breakfast at Leona Station. It was hosted by the Hamilton Chamber of Commerce. And uh, Mayor Horvath joins us now here on GMH. Andrea, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I, I do want to give you an opportunity to just express some thoughts on Margaret Jurovinsky, the outstanding philanthropist uh, who passed away Tuesday at the age of 91. What a, what a titan of goodwill. Oh, there's just no doubt. Uh, I think everybody knows that Margaret came from humble roots, uh, and then her and Charles uh, were able to be so successful, and and they gave back to the community in just enormous ways. Uh, and it was um, it was really sad to lose Charles last year, and then Margaret, as you mentioned just the other day. Our our city will never uh, have been where we are now without the Jurovinskys and their generosity and their their caring and their commitment, particularly in the healthcare uh, uh, side. But um, really, just an amazing couple, and uh, particularly Margaret. Uh, I think I think the, she's being described as a pillar of strength. And um, I had a really wonderful opportunity to be with her a couple of weeks ago at the Hamilton Health Sciences Foundation dinner and uh, fundraiser. And um, she was a delight, as always. Humble and wonderful and generous and caring. An amazing legacy that they have left for sure. Um, There is growing concern, as you know, about the encampment uh, behind City Hall. What options are being looked at and, and when can these people expect to be placed in some kind of shelter or housing? Well, I mean, the, the first question is a little easier than the second. Uh, the first, uh, you know, question is going to be dealt with by committee next week. There's a report that's uh, coming forward, and the committee members of the Community and Emergency Services Committee are going to review some of the recommendations that staff are putting forward in terms of changing how uh, we address the encampment uh, uh, situation in our city. But what it really boils down to is that we, as a city uh, overall, so this is the second part of your question, uh, don't have the capacity to make sure that every single person who is currently unhoused is able to be successfully housed. And I say successfully on purpose because lots of folks are dealing with serious mental health problems. Lots of folks are dealing with serious addictions uh, issues. And those kinds of, and many people have been on the streets for a very long time. In our city, in any given month, 80 families, 80, are being turned away from shelters because there's not enough space. Uh, at, any t- at any moment, 1,500 people are unhoused in the city of Hamilton. So these aren't things that you can just say, here's the solution and we're going to implement it as a city. In fact, this year, uh, we increased our, our um, housing budget by 30% uh, to $70 million. That's a huge uh, investment and necessary, but it's as you can tell, it's not solving the problem. That's why we create. That's why we declared a state of emergency uh, when it comes to homelessness, when it comes to mental health, when it comes to addiction, because we need to ring the alarm bells for the other orders of government that we can't we can't do it alone. And other cities are following suit. My understanding is, uh, the city of Toronto was just having this very debate. Uh, following the uh, declaration that we made uh, yesterday or the day before. And so it's 
it's uh, it, it's it's necessary to build the shelters. It's necessary to find uh, the resources or, or invest the resources to provide the wraparound service necessary uh, to stabilize people and to get them on a journey uh, to um, independence. And, and and I mean independence in terms of being able to be independently housed. Uh, and we have to build the unit. So it, there's a lot of work to be done now. And the existing encampments, again, those uh, those protocols are being debated uh, by committee, being reviewed by committee this coming week. Yeah, I think we can all agree that more needs to be done. Uh, it, the knowing and doing gap has to be closed. We've got to get doing stuff, and uh, I think everyone can agree with that. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath. Uh, yesterday you had your mayor's breakfast at uh, Leona Station, and, and part of it is um, perhaps developing some kind of dedicated department to look at affordable housing. What could potentially happen here? Well, it, it seems to me that we have a number of people that, uh, and organizations, uh, both in the not-for-profit sector as well as in the uh, de- development community, uh, that want to be part of the solution. Uh, but the question becomes, are we prioritizing uh, their applications? Are we a, a prioritizing uh, their initiatives uh, in our uh, housing, de- in our you know permits and uh, uh, development um Planning and Development Department, and so that's what I I want to look at. If if housing is a priority for particularly uh, for folks uh, that are um, you know needing assisted living and or needing lower rents and affordable units and and such, then it, shouldn't it be our priority to make sure that those applications are being expedited? And so that's what I want to look at. One of the key issues in uh, last year's election campaign was transparency, transparency at City Hall. And you made mention of this in your speech to uh, the uh, the business community yesterday is uh, there could potentially be a transparency task force created. What's your vision or what's the impetus behind that? Well, I mean, this is something that I heard on the campaign trail and I know a lot of others heard as well. Uh, and we had a huge turnover in terms of our uh, representation on uh, City Council, 10 new faces, well, relatively new, I might not be brand new, but <laughs> uh, 10 new faces around the council table. And so it, it's clear that people want to change. And, and there was a definitely a theme around transparency, uh, around engagement, around accountability. Uh, but to be able to kind of work on that piece, it doesn't make sense to do that internally as a, as a city that's already been identified as not getting it right. So I want to Put together a task force that's community-based with community leadership uh, to uh, to give the community the opportunity to uh, to tell us what it is that they think would be um, better in terms of the way City Hall operates, in terms of the way we engage with with uh, residents, with business, with community. Uh, so that's that's the idea. Mayor Horvath, uh, one more question for you. We've got about 45 seconds. Uh, another item from your speech yesterday was creating sustainable economic and ecological development. And on that second point, we just want to get greener and more efficient? That's a big part of it. So we, we've already started doing some of this work, as you may know, with the hiring of uh, Dr. McCastic for our climate change office. Uh, the council members in our priority setting session the other uh, week, and a, week and a bit ago uh, Basically, I think it was a week ago, actually, now that I think of it. Uh, but anyways, they um, they really wanted to see uh, an increased urban canopy, more trees, for example. We know that we've already got some commitments around uh, greening our our municipal buildings. Uh, so, you know, there are lots of uh, greenhouse gas emissions from inefficient buildings. If we're building new buildings, uh, particularly as a city, you know, let's, let's lead by example and make sure that we have uh, efficient buildings ourselves. 
Uh, we have uh, uh, net zero targets for our departments. Uh, and it's a matter of having all of these great plans, but making sure that we're actually doing the work to realize those goals. It's a big and important checklist, and it's nice to know that uh, you're making it a priority and things will get checked off in the years to come. Mayor Horvath, thanks for the time today. My pleasure as always, Rick. Take care. You too. Andrew Horvath, Mayor of the City of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There's the snap. Arbuckle again. Backpedaling to the goal line. Oh, it's picked Simone. up by Simone <laughs> Lawrence. And it's into the end zone. Defensive touchdown, Simone Lawrence. Oh, I'm sure we're going to hear lots of that this season. They have the goal. It's been a goal since 99 to not only get back to the Grey Cup, but to win the Grey Cup. And it's the Hamilton Tiger Cats opening up their training camp this weekend at McMaster University. You can get a full camp breakdown online at 900CHML.com. And here to talk about it is the one and only Simone Lawrence, star linebacker with the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Simone, good morning. Welcome to Good Morning Hamilton. Great morning. Good morning, Hamilton. It's great to be with you, Rick. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Fans want to know, is Simone Lawrence and the Ticats ready for training camp? Simone Lawrence is definitely ready for the Ticats training camp. Um, this is going to be an exciting one. Uh, tired of training all day. Been training a lot, three times a day, so we're ready to get to it. As you enter training camp this weekend, what would 34-year-old Simone Lawrence tell 24-year-old Simone Lawrence? that it's a long process and it just keeps staying in shape <laughs> no matter how many defensive player of the years you get keeps keep on with your process because you know once you get to the certain type of level you understand what you need to do to be the best since you already reached that level of, of, of being the best now i hope you don't take this question the wrong way but i know there's a lot of people out there thinking simone is is not 24 anymore he is 34 could this potentially be your last year is your frame of mind saying that this this could be it. Nah, that doesn't make sense to me. You know, I think a lot of uh, media outlets try to push a certain narrative. Um, last season was my first season ever getting hurt. And, you know, I missed a little bit of the season. But um, the season before that, when we went to the Grey Cup, I was MVP of the Hamilton Tirecats in the offensive league. So I don't know where this narrative is coming. And the season before that, I was defensive player of the year of the CF in the CFL. So I don't know where this narrative is coming from, but... I don't like it. <laughs> hey, man, you're like fine wine, let me tell you. Uh, Simone Lawrence <laughs> you know is our I mean. guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Of course, Simone is uh, an all-time legendary linebacker with the Tiger Cats, and they're getting set to launch into training camp this coming weekend. Uh, you lost a couple of teammates, especially in the linebacking core in the offseason. Javon Santos-Knox um, leaving the team, Cam Kelly going as well. But you have brought in guys like uh, Jameer Thurman and Chris Edwards, other defensive players who you're very familiar with, like Jagera Davis who's coming back to the team. When you look at this defense on paper, what do you think? What comes to mind? I'm happy. You know, I talk to uh, JG, JG every single day, maybe, and I was just FaceTiming him with him yesterday. And I, I mean, I'm always cheek to cheek, just knowing that he's back on my, uh, onto the boundary side with me playing defensive end. And I got the opportunity to meet Jameer Thurman when we did our photo shoot out here in Hamilton. He's he's a he's a stud. Um, I lo- I always admire his game and the way he attacks the football when he makes tackles, and his knowledge and his intelligence of the game. I think he's going to do a great job in the middle. And then even Chris Edwards, you know, when you watch him on tape, he's a ball player, and you know, dog respects dog. And I always re- like he has he has a motor, and I like his game too. And I think that he'll fit well here as well. Offensively, the Bo Levi Mitchell factor. What kind of impact do you think he's going to have on this team? 
I think that he's confident, you know, so he's going to bring his confidence and he's going to have those boys ready. And I think that not only is he confident, he has a great group around him. You know, if you just look at this, the receiving core alone is he has Tim White that can open up the field. And then you have Duke Williams. Um, you got Poppy. You have it's so many weapons. You got Butler that they just acquired. And then you you got the whole offensive line is probably the best offensive line on paper. And we'll see how camp looks when we get there. But, you know, he has everything around him to succeed. Uh, Ja'Gara Davis is not the only former Ticat who's making a comeback. We learned yesterday that Jeff Reinbold is back as special teams coordinator. What kind of uh, atmosphere do you expect around his special teams unit? Because it has been special when he's been that coordinator. For sure. I think that um, Jeff is going to bring a great, uh, great, great um What's the energy, you know what I mean? And I think that he's going to have the boys fired up and ready to play. You know, that's what the Tiger Cats always done. We've always been done really well on the special teams, and I think that's what he's going to bring. What is the best part of training camp? What's the worst part of training camp? <laughs> the best part of training camp? The best part of training camp is just competing, just seeing what everybody's been up to, you know what I mean? Uh, I think that's like the fun is just to like see who's the big dog and, you know, running around and just competing with your brothers and just learning your teammates, too, as well. You know, everybody has different personalities and you're going to spend um, half of the year with them and you got to learn your teammates and know how they are. And then I would say the worst part. You can say it. You can say it. I, I know I can say it, but I don't really have like a, there's no worst part for me. I mean, I do get, I guess I just miss being at home, like in my own space. Right. Right. So that, that'd be the worst part. Just sleeping in dorm rooms. I didn't even sleep in a dorm room when I was in college. You know, I went to the university <laughs> of Minnesota. They gave me a penthouse, a uh, luxury apartment. Well, I'm sure you deserved it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> hey, Simone, thanks for the time. Best of luck, not only in camp, but throughout the season as well. And hopefully we'll see you guys in the Grey Cup on November 19th. Let's go. Have a great one. You too. Simone Lawrence, linebacker, Hamilton Tiger Cats. You can get, by the way, you can get your Tiger Cats tickets and Grey Cup tickets online, TigerCats.ca. It is Grey Cup or bust for the black and gold this year for sure. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. All right. There is a school district in B.C. that's threatening to fire one of its teaching assistants after it was discovered that she has an OnlyFans page. Obviously, this is a controversial topic. I took precautions um, in order to keep OnlyFans and my education job separate. I do believe that I should be able to continue on. Um, I'm not hurting anyone. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with OnlyFans, it's an online subscription-based platform. So you have to pay to watch or consume what is being put on these pages. Um, artists use them. Entertainers use them. Sex workers also use them to monetize their influence. So back to the question, should this school district be allowed to fire this individual because she has an OnlyFans page. Fiona Martin is an associate at Samfiro Tamarkin LLP and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Fiona, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me this morning. Thanks for coming on. What do you make of this situation? So it is a it is an interesting situation, but I would imagine that it's going to be coming more and more um, prevalent given how many increasing kind of use of OnlyFans pages. I think in the context of this particular teaching assistant, because she is unionized, 
whether or not and, and what the the school can do to discipline her is largely going to depend on what's set out in her collective agreement. So typically the collective agreement will set out kind of very strict parameters under which someone can be disciplined or terminated. I think it, it's very possible. I know in this situation she has had the support of her union, so I suspect she'll probably be able to to keep her job but just more generally in the context of non-unionized employees um, in terms of like off-duty contact what they're doing online it would really only amount to what's known as like a just cause termination so a situation in where in which the employer wouldn't pay you any severance pay it'll depend on like whether or not the employee's conduct is harming the employer's reputation in some significant way or whether their off-duty conduct has somehow rendered them like unable to carry their carry out their job duties, um, and I, I don't suspect the employer is going to be able to make that argument in this case. It's also going to depend on whether or not there's like strict policies about that specifically spell out what expectations there are for like online conduct and the consequences of that breach and that sort of thing. Yeah, how specific would a contract or an agreement be in terms of? you know, online, I don't know, exposure, let's just call it that. Yeah, so the the chances are, I mean, contracts themselves, like employment offers, are probably not going to really be very detailed with respect to online conduct. Some employers, and we'll probably see them being used more frequently, but some employers have very specific policies um, that pertain to what an employee can and, and cannot do online. I, I, they're not very common, uh, but if for whatever, like let's just say hypothetically this employer had a specific policy online that uh, that prohibited OnlyFans pages or any sort of similar conduct online, it's and, and the employee and they could show that the employee read and signed off on a policy like that. It's possible they could. Um, they could argue that yeah, she has grounds to be disciplined or or terminated. But it, again, it's not it's not common that policies are that specific. Right. She says that she's not hurting anyone, and this is a subscription based mm-hmm. web platform, if you will, and and is not mixing teaching with what she's doing online. Does she have a good point there? Yeah, I mean, I it's not like she's. I, I do think she has a good point, just because she's not she's not someone that's recognized per se, like someone who's who's recognized by the public is held to a higher standard. She is kind of a teaching assistant. She's not the CEO of some, of some company. So I do think that there's, yeah, again, there's an argument that she's not necessarily, she's not hurting anyone. Right. And and that's going to be considered uh, when deciding what disciplinary consequences, if any are, are even appropriate. Um, I mean, it does. It raises an interesting question because, in her comments, she's also said that the reason she had to start this OnlyFans page to begin with is because she wasn't being paid a like a quote unquote livable wage, mm-hmm. right? So it it does raise an interesting question of like, what are employees? What can employees do in terms of are they allowed to take a second job and what? Are they allowed to take on as a second job? Right. We only got 30 seconds. Do you anticipate this story could alert other employers, whether it's in education or otherwise, to put a stipulation in their contracts going forward to say, you you cannot have an OnlyFans page? <laughs> it's, it's possible. I mean, I, I could, I could, I, I would imagine that as we, as OnlyFans becomes more and more popular, that employers will 
stipulate specifically if that's something that they're really concerned about, um, that they'll put it into their policies for sure. It's an interesting story. Fiona, thanks for sharing your thoughts on it. Thank you for having me this morning. Fiona Martin is an associate at Sanfiro Tamarkin LLP. You can hear more from Fiona and her team, Leora Sanfiro, at uh, the Employment Law Show, which airs every Saturday and Sunday here on 900 CHML at noon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Alberta is on fire. Thousands of residents are out of their homes. There's 70, maybe even more right now, wildfires burning in the province. And to make matters worse, there is hot, dry weather forecast for the next few days in that province. In fact, temperatures are going to reach the mid-30s, which is 15 degrees above normal for this time of the year in some areas of the province over the coming days. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair says federal help, including the military, is on the way. We are working closely with the province of Alberta through the Government Operations Centre to mobilize the resources that they need. Last night, we responded positively to the request of assistance that we received from the province of Alberta. We are already moving resources into those communities from the Canadian Armed Forces and other resources to provide the assistance that they requested. And us here in the GTHA got a little taste of what is happening in Alberta, that wildfire smoke. Um, made its way across the country, continues to do so, and uh, we felt it uh, earlier on this week. Paul Kovacs is the Executive Director of the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction at Western University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Paul, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. Great to talk with you. Thank you. Uh, Your reaction to the devastation that we're seeing in Alberta, what do you think? With climate change, we're going to hear this more and more. The weather's getting warmer and drier. It's coming earlier in the year. Um, Fires this year in Alberta. Um, but they'll come next year and the year after in different parts of the country. This is a growing risk and uh, something we need to do a better job handling. Does experience battling past fires help at all, or fire crews, officials in Alberta, just at the mercy of Mother Nature? Um, There's a lot that we can do. We're getting better every year at how we manage fires as we respond to more and more. Uh, The part that our institute does at Western University is we focus a lot on how to get ready before the fire. Uh, It's possible to have your community do wildfire protection. It's possible for your uh, business and for your home to be better protected. If you do things now, then when the fire approaches, you'll be ready. So what does wildfire protection look like? What must be done? So for your home, to take it to a very personal level, um, you want to have a building that's less likely to burn, and you want to have vegetation around your building that's less likely to burn. It's actually common sense. Uh, If you have a roof, when hot embers blow uh, from the burning trees and land on your roof, you don't want that to start the house on fire. Uh, If you have siding, uh, my house has got hardy board siding. If you have siding that doesn't burn, uh, then if the flames get close to your home, then the house is less likely to start on fire. A lot of the homes in western Canada use vinyl siding, which is not good in a wildfire area. If you have a deck that can burn, if you have uh, a fence that can burn, that's not a good thing. It'll bring it close to your house. Uh, But also the things you plant next to your house. If you have a green lawn that's uh, watered, uh, it's really unlikely the fire will come close to your house. But if you have um, spruce trees and juniper bushes and all kinds of things next to your house, you're at greater risk.
Alberta, over the past, well, geez, many years, I, I was there in 1996 in, in Fort McMurray, Alberta, and I'll, I'll never forget the day. My wife and I are on a bus, a Red Arrow coach bus, going from Edmonton to Fort McMurray. It's a five-hour bus ride, and I fell asleep and woke up, I don't know, halfway through, or at least close to Fort McMurray. And the year before, they had a massive wildfire, and the the landscape was was barren it was everything was scorched it looked like the apocalypse had happened i'm thinking where are we going and as i mentioned the year before they had a massive forest fire is it is it unavoidable especially if you're in alberta that you know this is going to happen maybe more often than not maybe not every year but more often than not so there's two issues here rick that are very important um to recover from the fire in fort mcmurray cost canadians 10 billion dollars yeah it's still the most costly event ever to occur in Canada, and we're worried that there's going to be even more multi-billion dollar events in the future. Uh, so one issue is the cost to recover because buildings were destroyed. More than 2,000 homes in Fort McMurray were destroyed. There's many homes being destroyed right now in Alberta. That costs a lot of money to put them back. Uh, other infrastructures being destroyed. Um, we can prevent the damage to buildings and to infrastructure. We won't stop the fires. Fire is actually a natural thing. Fires have been going on for thousands of years before there were people, um, uh, before there were Europeans in North America. Uh, fires are a natural thing, and with climate change, we're going to have more fire in the wildland. What we can reduce is the risk that the fire causes damage to buildings and to structures and infrastructure. That's where we need to put a lot of emphasis. Uh, we're not trying to stop fire. Uh, we're trying to manage fire. We're trying to live with fire. Uh, and uh, in a changing climate, there's going to be more fire. But we are trying to live in a way that fire does not cause loss of life, fire does not cause uh, damage to buildings and to property. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Paul Kovacs, Executive Director of the Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction at Western University. You have an expertise in disaster safety and economic policy. Are, are we failing in that regard, or are we making some steps forward to... Uh, you know, kind of uh, tamper down the, the damage that is caused? We have a national plan. It's an excellent plan. We've got a good strategy. What we need to do is invest more money into implementing the plan. Um, we know that uh, the right kinds of investments in resilient uh, buildings and infrastructure will take the risk of loss from wildfires, but also from flooding and from severe wind and from uh, terrible winter storms. We can have less damage. Uh, even if these storms are going to occur a little more often with climate change. Many of them are, anyway. Um, but if we spend more on the strategy that's in place, we have a good strategy. Uh, one of the things we're very good at our country is responding. Uh, there have been very few people die because of a flood or a wildfire or other kind of storm in our country, because when these events occur, you have brave people who step forward and take care of us and look after us. Um, it is, is, there are some elements of the plan that we are executing very well, like uh, responding. Uh, some other elements of the overall national plan, where we, like investing in resilience, where we need to dig deeper. We need to do more. We are making investments. We're just not doing enough. And with climate change, we need to even more so accelerate the investments that are required. Well said, Paul. We'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time today and enjoy your day. Thanks for the opportunity, Rick, and good talk with you. Thank you. Paul Kovacs, Executive Director, Institute for Catastrophic Loss Reduction at Western University. The Alberta government says it's going to join the federal government in a donation matching program with the Canadian Red Cross, and it sees that every $1 donated 
uh, becomes $3. You can imagine you put in a dollar, the federal government puts in a dollar, the Alberta government is going to put in a dollar. You can make a donation online at redcross.ca. And the worst of it is probably not over. As as I mentioned, those temperatures are going to reach the mid-30s. Uh, 15 degrees above normal, which is not a good scenario for those in Alberta. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canadian Taxpayers Federation uh, hosted its 25th annual Teddy Waste Awards ceremony, and it celebrates the best and most likely the worst in government waste that was uncovered over the past year. And there was a lot to dig up and shovel into the, well, the wheelbarrow of waste, if you will. Franco Terrazano is a federal director with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Franco, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on this morning. Uh, you have a number of different categories to get to, and hopefully we can get to them all. And I think first and foremost, we should start at the top, and that is the the federal winner of government waste in Canada. And th- this is a biggie. Yeah, and it was well-deserved this year. <laughs> it was Governor General Mary Simon. She got the federal waste award this year because her and her entourage billed us taxpayers for nearly $100,000 on fancy airplane food during a week-long trip to the Middle East. Um, now, there is a huge backstory to this. Uh, you know, when, when the $100,000 tab was first broke to the public, I mean, we had no idea how you could even rack up that type of bill on airplane food. So we filed an access to information request to get some of the receipts. And turns out, of course, they were having fancy food on our dime. They were enjoying beef wellington with jus. They were having beef carpaccio, stuffed pork tenderloin. And you know what? At the time, uh, the governor general was saying, you know, this is just like normal airline food. <laughs> like, what? I don't know about you, Rick, but I've never uh, had uh, uh, beef wellington or beef carpaccio on Air Canada or WestJet. I've never had a beef wellington potato chip on a flight, let alone the actual thing. Would, would the prime minister's $6,000 a night hotel stay for the Queen's funeral, was that a close second? Oh, yeah. I mean, the problem is, is that there's so much waste, it's actually hard to pick a winner. You know, the <laughs> toughest day of the year for us Canadian Taxpayers Federation uh, directors is we get together and we discuss, you know, who's going to win and who's just the nominee. It's the hardest day of the year for us to actually nail down a winner of the worst government waste. So the $6,000 per night hotel room was a nominee. So was the Arrive Can app. And also a story that we recently broke where the government was spending thousands of dollars on senior sex story performances in other countries. Seriously, folks, the government spent thousands of dollars um, in other countries putting on these live performances where seniors would relive their sexual histories to live audiences. So tons of waste at the federal level this year. That is wild. You have a Lifetime Achievement Award as well. Oh, yeah. And again, this year, another well-deserved victory. Uh, we gave it to the, uh, the Canada Revenue Agency because they gave us the answer to the question of what do teenagers, uh, what do people in jail and dead people have in common? Well, they got the CERB. <laughs> the Canada Revenue Agency handed out uh, the CERB to hundreds of people who were either in jail, to people under the age of 15, and even gave 391 dead people the CERB. And, you know, after throwing out, what, about $32 billion plus in ineligible or questionable subsidies to individuals, dead people, or some businesses, the CRA is now kind of throwing up its hand in the air and saying, ah, it's not uh, worth our time to fully investigate this waste. 
We are celebrating the best and, of course, the worst in government waste uncovered over the past year with Franco Terrazano, federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You also have a provincial category and a provincial winner, and we have to go to Quebec for this one. Yeah, we sure do. Now, this one's kind of crazy, okay? So uh, Quebec is the only province that requires their drivers to renew their license every single year. Now, the Quebec government had a a bright idea, okay? They they were like, we're going to create an app so people can go online. And what will that do? Well, it will reduce wait time, so make it more convenient for drivers, but it will also help us cut down the number of bureaucrats. Win-win, right? Wrong. (laughs) The app was such a disaster and it cost taxpayers about $458 million. It was so bad that it actually just forced more people to go in line to try to, or sorry, in person, to actually renew their passport again. And it was such a mess that they had to hire an extra 150 bureaucrats to clean up the mess that the app created. So they sought out to make life easier and reduce the number of bureaucrats. The actual result more bureaucrats, and more headaches for Quebec drivers. That is wild. We're, we're pretty much out of time, but I do want to mention the municipal winner as well, a councillor in Charlottetown who built a driveway around a telephone pole that had been there for years. Then she stuck taxpayers with a $4,600 bill to get rid of said telephone pole that was built on her new driveway, which is just nuts. Franco, thanks for sharing uh, the award winners with us, and uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Hey, thanks for having me on today. Franco Terrazano, Federal Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. A glimpse of the waste that is, well, (laughs) dumped onto us at the end of the day by our governments. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big day tomorrow because... It is season opening day for Hammer City Roller Derby. And here to talk about it is Chelsea Crash and Bleed LeCompte from Hammer City Roller Derby. Chelsea, good morning. How are you? Morning, Rick. How are you doing? I'm good. <laughs> All right. I got to get something out of the way first and foremost. Crash and Bleed. Where does this come yeah. from? Um, so when I was a little kid, I would go over to my uncle's house a lot and I kept hurting myself and falling over. So he started calling me Crash. And then I kind of added the in bleed part after because I thought it would be kind of fun and tough sounding. So yeah, I put on a lot of like red makeup and stuff when I play and that's where that came from. So you weren't technically bleeding? No, <laughs> a couple times, but not too many. <laughs> so tell us about Hammer City Roller Derby. What are you guys all about? So Hammer City, we're the oldest roller derby league. Um, we, uh, uh, we're, <laughs> sorry, I didn't have that question prep. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we're just a, uh, a sport league out of Hamilton. Um, there's quite a few of us, and it's a derby's a really niche sport. So it's um, yeah, it's just like a it's a lot of it's a fun sport to play. <laughs> Sorry. What, yeah. No. How how many women are involved, and in where? Or, I'm assuming they probably come from all over the place. Yeah, we uh we have a lot of people that come from uh, uh like the Hamilton area, but we've had skaters come from Guelph and Ancaster. Um. But when it comes to playing other leagues, we play other neighboring cities' teams. Like last weekend, we just played Niagara. Um, But because it's such a nice sport, we have a lot of people coming from all over to come play with us. Um, Yeah, we have, like, it's a a lot of people from everywhere kind of thing. Mm -hmm. For someone who's not familiar with roller derby, and, and really my experience of it was way back in the 80s when there was like a sort of a track where the roller derby participants would skate around and you'd try to get points and you would elbow and body check and, you know, get a little rough stuff. Does that happen here as well? Oh, yeah. Roller derby is still pretty tough. Uh, Yeah, like there's still a lot of high contact hitting. Um, It's 
super intense when we do our jams. Um, yeah, you basically have your two teams of five, and we have our jammer, which is basically like our ball, who has to get through each team to score points. So every person they pass, they score points. So as if you're one of the teams that's blocking, you want to try to not let that jammer through, otherwise you're not going to score any points. <laughs> how many points do you need to win, and how long is a typical game? Um, I'm not. A typical game is usually 30 minutes. Um, and in terms of how many points to score, we basically do two 30-minute periods and whoever has the most points wins. Ah, I see. Okay. How did you get into it? Um, I actually started skate. I was at a parade in Welland because I'm originally from Niagara. And uh, I was sitting there with my brother and my sister-in-law, and I saw all these roller skaters go by. And I'm like, I didn't even know that that we had a team in this area. So they had a foundations course, and I started skating with them. But then I moved to Hamilton, and now I'm skating with Hammer City, uh, which I really feel like I've stepped up my skating game since coming here because uh, we just have a really great league and a lot of like we're really connected and I feel like we just have a lot of a lot of fun when we skate together. Sounds like it. Hammer City Roller Derby holding its season opener tomorrow. Chelsea Crash and Blade Lecomte is uh, with the team. Where where do you guys usually play? And is it kind of all over the place? Yeah, we play uh we play at Eastwood Arena in Hamilton. Um it's pretty close to the water over there. Um our first game, sorry, our first home opener game is going to be on May 13th and it, the doors open at 6 and the whist first whistles at 7 p.m. Sometimes we do go away for travel games but we're we have a lot of games coming up this year in at Eastwood so be sure to watch out for that at, on our social media. <laughs> what kind of crowds do you get and I'm sure the, the people who come out are really into it. Oh yeah like uh, we have a very dedicated following we always have quite a few people in the crowd. Um, I've been to other scrimmages where there's been tons of people, so we want to get as many people as we can. <laughs> now, this is a sport where you're certainly competing against another individual or another team, but there's also an entertainment aspect to it. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, we always play a lot of like fun music when people come in. We have uh, snacks, drinks, and we're going to have merch for, sell, for sale at our first uh, home opening bout. Uh, we're also going to have the 51st Hamilton Girl Guides unit selling cookies. And we're also going to be co uh, collecting donations for the Hamilton community fridges for our bouts this season. So like dry goods. So it's kind of like a big party to come watch this very niche, very different sport, right? Talk to us about what makes a good roller derby player. Because you mentioned there's jammers and there's blockers. What makes a good player in this sport? I would say a good player in this sport is somebody who's a great skater and just has a lot of awareness because a lot of times when you're skating, things can get super out of whack. You know, the jammer hits your, your group of people and all of a sudden everybody is everywhere. So it's having that strong skater who's aware and able to get everybody back together because you're stronger as a group as opposed to when you're by yourself because you can't really block the, our jammer or like the ball if you don't have your people around mm -hmm. you, right? We're chatting with the Chelsea Crash and Bleed Lecomte's Hammer City Roller Derby. They launch their season opener tomorrow and it's sure going to be an exciting time. Do, do these games get testy? Because, you know, you are competitors. No, actually, everybody is always very like welcoming and super understanding when you're playing your sport. You know, even if you're playing a team you're not super familiar with, the, the environment and the vibes are just always so supportive and welcoming like like I said we just played Niagara last week and everybody was you know hugging each other and like 
talking and stuff after the game. And these are people that have also like, I'm a newer skater, but there's a, a big history in Derby too of just, you kind of know everybody who's in your area and, you know, you want to come in to play this sport. It's never, it's never like a, like an angry thing off the track, right? Like you get your game face on, but everybody wants to keep playing. So you want to have that good relationship with everybody. That's good to hear. If someone wants to get involved and is listening to this thinking, hey, I, I, I want to play this or I know someone who would be good at this sport. Or if you want, you know, other people to come and watch you guys play, how do they get involved? Yeah. So um, there's lots of ways to get involved with Derby. Um, we're actually running our first, uh, sorry, our second um, foundations course. So we have people coming in to learn to skate right now. We have like 32 people that are basically in our foundations course this year. Um, and last year we also had our largest uh, learn to skate program ever with 40 people. So we're, the more demand that there is, the more learn to skate programs that we can run. Um, there's also the opportunity, if, say Derby's like a little intense for you, but you still like watching it. We have lots of positions and availability, availability to train people to be non-official, uh, sorry, non-skating officials. So that we always need lots of refs and people who know the sport in order to help ref our games and uh, re offer training to do all that kind of stuff as well. More details online at hammercityrollerderby.ca. Chelsea, thanks for the time today. Good luck tomorrow and the rest of the season. Awesome. Thank you so much. That's Chelsea Crash and Blade Lecomte from Hammer City Roller Derby. Again, the website, hammercityrollerderby.ca. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.